Hey guys, uh, welcome to RUF. Uh, RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship. Uh, my name is Chris. I have a lot of microphones. And I'm the campus minister. Uh, it's a real pleasure to see all of you because you're pretty much all new to me. So uh, thank you for coming tonight. A uh, special thank you if you're a freshman, a welcome. Or if you're new, uh, welcome. Uh, you will get used to the songs. So just hang in there. Um, I get asked a lot, you know, uh, what RUF means, what's RUF about, and uh, that's a good question. People don't know what reformed means, and that's okay. So if you're here and you don't know what reformed means, that's okay. We're not really going to talk about it right now, but we can talk about it later. Uh, so I get asked a lot, what, what's RUF all about? Uh, what does RUF beat their drum? What's your thing? You know, because everybody has a thing, right? Uh, and at RUF, uh, our thing is three things, and it's this. Uh, we believe in the Bible. We believe that the Bible is God's word. And so that means that uh, it's as if God was speaking. So it has authority like God's words actually have. And it means something to our lives. And from the Bible, we believe two things. That God saves sinful people and that real change is possible for your life. So if you want to know what RUF is all about, we're all about the Bible. We're about God saving people and about people's lives being changed through that. So tonight, uh, we're going to have a series that starts next week called Questions God Asked. But tonight, we're just going to camp out on what this thing called the gospel. What is that all about? What does that mean? Because uh, I know you may be here tonight and you're like, gospel, isn't that like some kind of music that I don't listen to? And uh, that's true. Uh, it is a type of music. Um, but we're going to dive in. What, what does it look like for God to save sinners? So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 28 tonight. Thankfully, that thing started doing better because I felt like I was going to have a seizure. Um, so we're looking at Genesis 28. So if you have a Bible, turn there. Uh, like I said, my name is Chris, and uh, this is my first year here at App State as your campus minister. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to be with you uh, and to serve you. Uh, but I did not go to App State. Uh, I went to Georgia Southern. And... And let's pray. Uh, uh, <clears throat> that's, a, that's a good response. Okay, so I went to Georgia Southern, and uh, I was actually saved. I, I uh, came to know the Lord Jesus uh, in RUF at Georgia Southern, so RUF is very dear to me. So uh, we went to seminary, my wife and I, and afterward uh, we were trying to find a call, and we really wanted to, to, be, to work with RUF. And uh, finally, this call came along to App State, and we were really excited. So many of our dear friends live in Statesboro, which is where Georgia Southern is. And so I, I, I talked to them and I said, hey, we're really, really excited that we're going to get to work with RUF at Appalachian. And their response, almost all of them was, really? <laughs> Appalachian State? Why would you want to go to those people? Uh, they were talking about y'all. Um, and... Uh, and, you know, and they would say, you know, like, uh, really? Uh, like, did you have a choice? Like, is it too late to change your mind? Um, you know, and, uh, but, you know, inevitably they would always say, well, it's a really good thing you're going because those people really need Jesus. Um, <laughs> now, if you're anything at all like me, uh, you struggle to be gripped by this idea of the gospel. Uh, you know that Jesus saving sinners 
is really important, maybe if you're a Christian, or if you're not a Christian, that this is some, some important idea. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's Facebook, and there's going to class, and there's having a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and all kinds of other things kind of come in, right? And they compete for that most important thing. And if you're like me, you struggle to be compelled to be about the gospel. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I would love to sit down and talk to you about the reasons uh, for that. Uh, but I think one reason is because we fail to think much about the kind of people that God loves. God loves those people. God likes those people. And God pursues those people. Uh, God loves really, really bad people. Terrible, wicked, awful people. People kind of like you and me and kind of like Jacob, the guy we're going to be looking at in this passage. So let's look uh, at the passage. It's up on the screen. We're going to start in Genesis 27, and then we're going to jump ahead to Genesis 28. So if you would uh, read along with me, listen. This is the word of the Lord. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, my son uh, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? And then chapter 28, starting in verse 10. This is what we're going to be looking at. Uh, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let's pray. Uh, Father, before we consider your word, uh, we come before you to recognize that... um, Just reading it is enough for you to work. 
Uh, Lord, it's a long text, and it's full of things that seem, seem very foreign to us. And Lord, we're desperately in need uh, of you to help us, for your Holy Spirit to come, to be with us, to attend uh, to your word, uh, Lord, that, that you would change us, uh, that we would never be the same, and that you would be glorified. Lord, would you do that? We can't do it on our, on our own. Uh, we need you now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so this is a story of Jacob. Uh, Jacob is a bad guy, and this is a story about God moving towards and loving a bad person. And I want us to look at, quickly, God's love towards bad people in three things. Uh, the dream that Jacob has, the ladder that Jacob sees, and the promise that God makes to Jacob. So if you're keeping notes, it's very easy. The dream, the ladder, and the promise. Uh, God is showing that he loves Jacob just by showing up in the first place. Because we didn't have a lot of time to, to sort of look at what was going on before this, but at Cliff's notes, uh, Jacob had a brother, and his name is Esau. And their father... Uh, was blessed by God, and if you know anything about sort of old, ancient, Near Eastern culture, you know that the firstborn son is a very important person. He gets his father's blessing. He gets the lion's share of everything that his father gives. And Jacob and Esau, if you're, if you're twins, maybe you'll appreciate this. Jacob and Esau are brothers, and Esau is born just right before Jacob. And so he is the firstborn son. And since Jacob can't get his father's blessing, uh, he does something wonderful which is he tricks his father into thinking that he's Esau. And so Esau gives him the blessing. He goes in, his father's kind of blind. Uh, Esau's very hairy and burly, and Jacob's very kind of shrimpy. And uh, he goes in, and he puts these goat skins on, and his father's like, oh, are you really Esau? And he touches him, and he's really furry, and that's really hairy. Um, Really hairy. Uh, And he goes in, and he steals this blessing from his brother. He lies to his father. And he steals from his brother. And that's pretty uh, characteristic of Jacob because his name actually means cheater or liar. So if your name's Jacob, take heart tonight. Uh, (laughs) Hopefully this will be an especially good news for you uh, tonight. Uh, Jacob is a liar. He's a cheater. He's not a good guy. His brother Esau is actually a better son. Uh, He's more faithful. Uh, Esau is kind of this hardworking good old boy. Uh, But Jacob is a liar and a thief. And so we pick up this story, and what's going on is Jacob has run away. His mother has sent him away. He's in the middle of the wilderness, uh, probably a desert land. He's running away, scared of his brother, fearing man, uh, in the middle of the wilderness. Uh, He's not calling out to God, clearly. He's not obviously sorry or sad for what he's done, except for that it's going to get him killed. And you could understand why his brother is so angry. Uh, actually, Jacob isn't even awake. He's sleeping in the middle of the wilderness with his head on a rock, which there's probably a pun about hard-headed people, but it's above, below me. I wouldn't make that pun. So God comes to a helpless person when he's not even looking for him, when he's obviously sinned, hasn't repented, hasn't turned away from his sin. He's just saving his skin. And If you are familiar at all with the Bible, if you've heard Bible stories, if you've read the Bible at all, this probably should start to sound familiar, uh, that God shows up. This is his pattern. He shows up not only when people uh, are sinful and do the wrong things, but when people are running away from him, 
when people are uh, not even aware that he's there, when people, the last thing they want to do is cry out to God, God comes to the middle of nowhere to find them. So, uh, so just, by, just by showing up, just by revealing himself to Jacob, God is showing his heart towards bad, sinful people that are running away. Uh, Jacob had, did not deserve for God to show up, and yet there he is. So God's gracious to Jacob by showing up. But what about this ladder? Uh, if you've ever had a dream, which I wager many of you have, uh, you'll know that dreams can be often very strange. I think, Mitch, is Mitch, I think Mitch Hedberg said, you know, I'm sleeping in my hotel room, and I want to dream about myself looking at myself dreaming, and that's nice and peaceful, but instead I have to help my ex-landlord, you know, repair a go-kart. Uh, <laughs> dreams are very, very random events, and this is no exception. Jacob has a dream, and there's a ladder, and it starts on the earth, and it goes up to heaven, and angels are going up Uh, and down on it. What is the ladder doing? What's the purpose of the ladder? It's a connection, right? It's a connection between the earth below and the heaven, uh, the the earth below and the heavens above. Uh, It's a highway. Did anyone ever see Highway to Heaven? Okay, this is really, okay, never mind. Uh, It was a great show about a guy. It was the guy that was Knight Rider. Anyway, um, it's a highway to heaven in a sense, right? It's a stairway to heaven. Hopefully you know what stairway to heaven means. Uh, and, and, and it's a connection point uh, between earth and heaven. And that there actually even exists a connection between earth and heaven shows something very fundamental about who God is. Maybe you've never thought about this, but we think about God living. He dwells in heaven, right? He's very different from us. Maybe if you've, especially if you've come from a conservative church background, you think of God as being sort of distant, maybe, that, he, that he, there's something between us. Uh, but one of the most prevalent themes in the scripture is that God is absolutely committed, wants to, it's his heart's desire to live on the earth. Two major themes in the Bible are that mankind is wicked and have shunned God, and that God is just committed, uh, just bent on being on the earth with his people. Uh, It's kind of amazing if you think about all the times in the scripture that God comes to the earth. He walks with Adam and Eve, maybe you've heard that story in the cool of the day, with them in the garden. He shows up to Abraham in the middle of nowhere. He met Moses on a mountain in the middle of nowhere. Uh, He comes to a tabernacle. Uh, He dwelt on the earth. He met Elijah. He's always coming to the earth. And since we failed to get it for thousands and thousands of years that this was God's intention, he did something very unthinkable. God came to the earth. The Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, came and put himself inside of a woman's stomach. And was born of her and walked on the earth and breathed the dust, walked in the dust, hugged people, ate our food. Why? Because God is absolutely determined to live on the earth with us. It's what he wants to do. If you ever thought to yourself, what is it that God wants? He wants to live with people. And every other you know, religious system, you're at the club fair. Maybe some of you were at the club fair. Maybe I met you at the club fair. And good to see you again. 
Uh, there's obviously several different religious systems in the, in the world, in the Club Expo. Uh, we were right between the Pagan Student Association and the Christian Sorority. And uh, that was, I think, a, a good, appropriate place for us uh, to be. I think it kind of somewhere in between there is where we are. Uh, and, uh, but every other religious system teaches at its most fundamental level, how man might attain to God, how mankind gets to God, how mankind gets to heaven. You know, the the ten tenets of this, follow these rules. How do I achieve a higher state of consciousness? But the Christian gospel does the opposite. The Christian gospel isn't about how man can get up to God. It's about how God came to be with mankind. The gospel at its most basic point uh, is, is, is how God comes when nobody wants him and gathers people for himself. How a holy God unites himself with people like you and me. Uh, Jesus makes reference to this uh, in John chapter 1. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but he's talking to Philip and Nathaniel. Again, if your name is Philip or Nathaniel, this one goes out to you. Uh, In John chapter 1, Jesus references this. He's talking to Philip, and Philip is kind of amazed by something that Jesus has done. And Jesus says this. uh, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Should sound somewhat familiar, right? Heavens are open, angels ascending and descending, but there's no ladder. What's the connection point between earth and heaven? It's Jesus. Jesus is the connection point. Jesus, uh, the body of the Lord Jesus, is that thing by which uh, mankind attains to God, but God comes down to man. It's by Jesus' work, his perfect life, his perfect death on the behalf of sinners and his triumphant resurrection, that mankind, people like us, can be with God, can be connected to God. It's all through Jesus that that gap between heaven and earth is spanned. Listen to how Paul, who wrote uh, several books in the New Testament, describes us and how he describes Jesus, what Jesus has done. This is in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. We were weak ungodly, unrighteous, still sinners, enemies of God. And what has Jesus done? He died. He reconciled, died for us, reconciled by his life. The very heart of the gospel is not that God puts up with you and me. Uh, It's not even that God lets us into heaven. The heart of the gospel isn't that when you die, you go to heaven. It's a great benefit. But it's not the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that God is affectionately desirous of people like us. 
So much so that he will come to us when we were ungodly, enemies, unreconciled. God comes to the worst kinds of people, and that's what he wants to do. But not only does God show up in the dream, not only does he show up in the ladder, but he also makes promises to Jacob. Uh, They're in verse 13 to 15, which hopefully is still up there. Look at what God promises to Jacob. He gives Jacob land. He gives him offspring. He gives him dominion over vast swaths of territory. And this is the most incredible part of all. And maybe we just kind of get past it. But God says, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have done what I promise you. Uh, God isn't being just kind to Jacob. Uh, if, If there's someone that you don't really like, but you want to do something nice for them, maybe you buy them groceries and drop them off, right? Uh, maybe you do something nice for them. Maybe you send them a nice email. Uh, but if you don't really want to be with them, you just you don't hang out with them. Uh, God's not only backing up the truck, giving him all these blessings, he's showing absolutely no reluctance to do that, right? But it seems like God likes Jacob. Like he adores Jacob. I will be with you. I will keep you wherever you go, and blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And he has no reluctance to do it. Uh, you know, it's not like Jacob turned from it. It's like, you know, you can imagine uh, if, uh, you know, if, if when you were at home, you took your mom's minivan out, and you wrecked it into a tree because you were being stupid. And uh, so your dad just shows up, and he tosses you the keys to his Mustang. He's like, all right, well, get out there and go get him again. Uh, that doesn't scream excellent parenting to me. Not that I really know. Um, you would think that God would kind of want Jacob to at least understand. He would want to teach him uh, a lesson. You know, shouldn't he have to learn his lesson before God comes and just tosses in the keys? There's no reluctance on God's part. There's no waiting on Jacob. And, you know, when I was studying this extensively for hours... Uh, I was reading through the passage, and I began to get a little bothered, and actually a little sort of offended, and like sort of chafe, that God didn't teach Jacob a lesson first. Because when I talk to my children, I always want them to get it before I give them the love, before I give them the affection. And there almost should be a point where it begins to offend us, or begins to not sound right to us, that God goes after those people. Uh, There should be a point where we're kind of annoyed or thrown off that God is gushing over those people, over that kind of person, over bad, wicked people that have done bad things that you would never do. You know, at the end of it, at the end of the passage, uh, Jacob doesn't even really seem to get it then. Because he's like, okay, if you do X, Y, and Z, then... I'll do it. I will, uh, you'll be my God and I'll give a tenth to you. But God remains completely committed and dotes on Jacob. I mean, there's a difference right between you see a boyfriend and a girlfriend that like each other and then the ones that are like, they're like the ones doting on the other one. Like they just can't, like they can't get off the arm. It's like they're surgically attached. God is doting on Jacob. And if you're a Christian or if, if you're not, think about the people that you know that you would say aren't far from becoming a Christian. 
Think about the people you know where you're like, I could really see them becoming a Christian. That, may, that would make sense. Think about who those people are. What are those people like? If you're anything like me, those people will, number one, like me. That's number one. They approve of me and make me feel good about myself. Uh, but they also, they're into the things that I'm into, right? But they also kind of behave like Christians already, right? We'd say, okay, well, they kind of, you know, they kind of had a rough past, but they're really starting to get their life back on track. And I don't really think that they're that far from being a Christian. They're starting to get their moral act together. Uh, if I was listing the people I would think that are really close, like almost there, I probably would not list the Boston Marathon bomber. I probably would not list a prostitute in uptown Charlotte or downtown Asheville. Those aren't the first people that come to mind. Uh, probably not the first people that came to mind for you. Why? According to the scripture, those kind of people make the best Christians. If you came tonight with a preconceived notion of the Bible that, uh, you know, this is just kind of goody-two-shoes people and uh, people that don't have any fun, people that never really done anything like I've done, you're wrong. Because the Bible says that murderers and prostitutes are some of the best Christians. Uh, because Moses, maybe you've heard the name, was a murderer. Rahab, very important. In the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus eventually came from her line. She was a prostitute. Uh, King David, a man after God's own heart, not only was a murderer, but also an adulterer. He cheated cheated on his wife, and then when he wanted to cover it up, he killed the other lady's husband. Paul, in the New Testament, was a terrorist, mass murderer. According to the Bible, God's always finding people like that. And dumping blessings on them. And I think how we answer the question of, hey, who do you think is close to being a Christian? Because at one point Jesus said to someone, you're not far from the kingdom. The people that we think aren't far from the kingdom says a lot about how we think of God and how we think of ourselves. Uh, If we're honest, we tend to think that people have to get it, sort of get their act together morally before they can become a Christian. Uh, one of my favorite songwriters, he has a verse, and it's a song that it's about a self-righteous person going to heaven. And uh, it goes like this. When I get to heaven, I'll be greeted warmly, surrounded by the angels as Jesus takes my hand. And I'll receive a mansion on the River Jordan and a crown of diamonds for a race well run. I won't ever lock my doors. I will trust my neighbor, confident that they deserve to be there in heaven too. Confident that they deserve to be there in, in, in heaven too. Why does God love Jacob so much? Why does he back up the truck and just dump blessing after blessing and promise to be with Jacob? Why does God love bad people that don't deserve it? Uh, I was talking to a friend recently. Uh, I was at the Savannah College of Art and Design before I came here. Uh, working with, with RUF there. And we had a student who was not a Christian, and she was very open that she was not a Christian. Um, and, but we want RUF to be an environment where, where whether you're a Christian or not, you have time to process the gospel. You have time to, to sort of look at the scripture with us and go through these things and not feel pressured where people in process can process. So I was bragging on this girl who she wasn't a Christian, 
But, you know, if you're ever in a Bible study and someone says, what's the gospel? Like, no one wants to answer that question because it's like, if I get that wrong, does that mean I'm out? Um, <laughs> it's like, get out! Uh, but she was in a Bible study and no one would answer. And she, she said, well, I, I know what the gospel is. The gospel is that God loves us only because of what Jesus did, even when we were really messed up. And so I was bragging on this girl to my friend, who was also a pastor. And uh, he was like, you know, Chris, I don't think that's right. And so I was rightly concerned uh, with my friend. And I said, what has happened to you? Uh, and he said, no, I don't, I don't think that's quite right. God doesn't love us just because of what Jesus did. God loved us way before Jesus ever went to the cross. Actually, Jesus went to the cross because he loved us. Why does God love bad people that don't deserve it? Because he loves us. You know, God's always answering questions with these, like, really maddening responses that we don't want. Like, you know, sometimes Moses asks him, who are you? And he's like, tell them that I am. Like... Okay. Uh, When we ask God, why do you love us? He says, because I love you, and I always have, and I always will. Uh, Why did Jesus go to the cross? I mean, why did he come in the first place? But then why did he go to the cross? Why was he mocked, tortured, stripped naked, and died on the cross? Why? Because he loves us. It's a, it's a pure love. Most of us aren't used to this kind of love. I would say in a room this big, um, there are tons of stories uh, about how people have loved you well and how people have not loved you well. And uh, we're usually, we're used to loving people based on something sort of in here, right? Uh, you know, my boyfriend loves me because of how I look or because of what I do for him. Or my parents seem to love me because I make the right grades or do the things that they ask me to do. Um, There typically tends to be something in our character. Like, I love my wife, and she loves me. And uh, boy, does she love me. And uh, But I have to at least be nice to her for her to love me, right? Like, if I'm mean to her all the time, I think eventually that will run out, right? If you want someone to love you, a good, you know, motto is be nice to them. Uh, But God's love doesn't work that way. God's love isn't dependent on anything in you. If you hear one thing tonight, please hear that. God's not waiting for you to get something right before he'll love you. Why did God love Jacob? He's a liar, a cheater, he's deceitful, he's a thief, he's a coward. Because he loved him. Listen to what Paul later says about Jacob. And not only so, but when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau hated. God loved Jacob because he loved Jacob. And he was determined to do it. He loves us because he loves us. And that love can change you. If you're trying to figure out what, what it is that can, that can get you, that can pry your heart away from that thing that you love, but you know it's hurting you or it's hurting someone else, 
That love can change you. That love can make us act and sound and come across and feel more like Jesus. Uh, In the Christian world, we tend to think of two kinds of Christians. People that are really excited about the good news of the gospel and then people that are really serious about, you know, holiness and living the right way and uh, living upright, holy lives. But there aren't two kinds of Christians. There's only one kind of Christian. The only way that you can legitimately, genuinely live a life that is pleasing to God, that you can change, is if you've been gripped by this love of Jesus. If you begin to understand that God loves you based on nothing in you, that he set his affection on you and that he's come to get you and to bring you out and to restore you to the person that he knew, he knows that you can be, the person he created you to be. That can change us. It can tame uh, our hearts. Uh, I'll close with this. Uh, I was reminded of this recently. There's an email chain with other RUF uh, pastors. And uh, so sometimes people put like silly things on there and then everyone gets a laugh. And uh, there was this video that someone put up of a pastor, and I don't know where it was. It was a sizable church, and everyone looked nice enough and were dressed well. Uh, but he just has this tantrum in the middle of the sermon, right? Uh, he's, he's up there preaching, and then there's a guy, I guess, that falls asleep. And he starts to lose his mind on this guy. He's like, hey, hey. And he's like, you have to listen to me. I'm important. What I'm saying is important. And then, like, I think he realizes that he's, like, already committed to freaking out. So he just starts walking out, and uh, he starts pointing at people. And y'all, y'all going to get married. Why would I marry you two? You don't even know what you're doing with your life, and you're a mess. And he just starts pointing people out and saying their names. It is awful. It is the most amazing and terrifying five minutes that you'll ever spend in your life. And uh, he just, he, like, one guy, it's... One guy's up in the video room. He's like, you're just trying to set up your own kingdom in the video room. And why don't you listen to me? And, and so everyone's responding to this like, I hope this guy got fired, right? Because this guy is a mess. And everyone's having a good laugh or whatever. But one guy responded, and I will never forget this. He said this. Now, he works on RUF at another campus. I can honestly relate to this guy. He just made public what I'm tempted to say to my students at times. Why don't my students worship me? Why aren't my students more thankful for all I do for them? Why don't my students come to our events more? Why don't my students do right so I can get back to shepherding clean, non-sinners? That video really humbled me because I'm so full of it and really need to make this thing about Jesus. That, my friends, is called self-awareness. Uh, it's called honesty, humility, and you can't get to that point to looking at someone that did something that you would never, ever, ever do, the thing that you can't imagine that you would ever do, and says, you know what? I could see myself doing that. I'm about one or two sets of circumstances from losing my mind on all these people. Uh, that's not natural. It's not natural to look at something really ugly and say, There but for the grace of God go I. Uh, It's evidence of someone that's recognized that God loves him based on nothing in himself. And he has the freedom to be honest about it, to be honest about who he is. Have you ever wanted to be honest about who you are? God, I know I have. This is good news if you've ever wanted to be honest about who you are.
And it's good news with power. I don't know about the God that you've known. Um, I'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, I don't know what you think you need to do to make God love you or accept you. But the God in this book, the God of this gospel, he loves messed up, ugly, broken, complicated, questionable people that are just one step away or one step past that thing they swore they would never do. He loves people like you and me. Have you ever been loved like that? Have, has a love like that ever begun to grip your heart and pull at you from the inside? Uh, if not, is that God at least one that you could consider? Is that one that you could come back for and hear more? Uh, because that is the God that we worship, that we talk about. That is the Jesus uh, whose gospel we love. Uh, could you come and get in here more? I hope so. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that you, while we were yet sinners, uh, you died for the ungodly. Uh, Lord, this room is, is, is mixed at best. It's people that have had a taste and want more. It's people that just came because someone drug them here. Lord, we're all over the place, but we all desperately need you. Lord, thank you uh, for the realization that we're never too far uh, for you to come and get us. Lord Jesus, would you go with us tonight as we leave and bring us back again and draw us to the well uh, that we might be refreshed by you. In Jesus' name.